Hey everybody, uh, Pastor Joe here. Uh, we're so glad that you are here at New Life. Uh, I don't know how he does this. This is itchy, itchy. Uh, he said if I was going to preach, I had to uh, look more mature. Uh, I didn't say I have to act mature. Uh, so, uh, I, oh, I can't do this. Just a second. Cool. Oh, that is just beards. Oh, like I, if I could, I would, but it's just, it itches. Uh, my name is Taylor, and we are so excited that you are here today with us. I'm the student pastor. I get to work with our 7th through 12th grade students, and we have an incredible group of students. If you have, woo, uh, if you have a, a student in that ministry or a grand, uh, grand student there, it is hopefully they are enjoying it, is we actually have this Wednesday a family night where if you have a, a student in that grade, we'd love to invite the parents and grandparents. Come see what they're experiencing on Wednesday nights. We're going to feed the parents. We're going to have a, uh, a speaker come in and just give you some help in, in life and, and how you raise these crazy teenagers. Maybe some questions you might have you want to ask a professional. So we're going to have that. We're going to have a dinner. We're going to have some worship and teaching to be a part of. And we're going to talk about what is happening over these next several months and into the summer, our, our fundraiser, CIY camp. If you're new to any of those things, we have a, a crazy, awesome summer. So we want to give you a heads up on that. Uh, and I'd just love to, to meet you, get a chat with you for a few minutes. And so if you have kids in sixth grade and down, we're going to have child care for them. So feel free to bring them as well. We'll feed them. We have uh, some people going to watch them so you can, can listen and and experience a Wednesday night. So we'd love to that. register for that. So we have plenty of food and plenty of child care. Uh, but that will be this uh, Wednesday, uh, we'll start at 6 p.m. Uh, doors open at 5.30. But like I was saying, we have an awesome student ministry, and we actually fill this room on Wednesday nights. And so we have over 100 students, 7th through 12th grade, who come here from Centerton and Missouri and Bentonville and Bella Vista and Pea Ridge and Rogers. And I just want to take a quick moment and pray over where you're sitting at. And so we have students fill these chairs, and we, uh, as we continue to grow as God continues to bless this ministry. If you want to just quietly take a moment and pray over the student who's going to sit in this chair this week and over next year and in a decade and a hundred years and we're not here anymore. If you would just take a moment, I'll pray out loud. If you would just pray that, that God's word would be shown to them, that, that they would see that they are loved, they are valued, and that life change will happen, not because we're doing anything special here, but because God is moving among our students. Let's do that now. God, I thank you for this opportunity just to lift up these students as, as we are praying over them, Lord. As some students will be coming for the first time to church this Wednesday, Lord, we ask that you just do something special in their lives. Lord, as our students are inviting their friends, as they're living out their faith in their schools, Lord, we ask that you would just empower them as we teach them on Wednesday nights and on the weekends, as we meet in our life groups, as we just help them to grow, Lord. Just give us the words to teach them, Lord. Give us the relationships, Lord. Help us just to further your kingdom. We ask you to be with the students who are going to be here next decade and then 50 years and 100 years, Lord, that you just bless those leaders, bless those students, Lord, as they continue to carry on this mission of sharing the gospel, Lord, and that generations will be affected because of what you are doing here at New Life. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So there was a pastor, and he was getting up ready to preach one Sunday, and he was going to preach on a very deep topic, and there was a lot of meat on the bones, metaphorically, that he could talk about. And so he gets up ready to preach, and he situates his notes, and he sees his wife put a sticky note in his Bible, and it said, kiss, K-I-S-S on it. And he's like, oh, that's so sweet of her. She wants, to, she wants me to know that, that I am loved, that she loves me. And so he's like, man, I feel really good. So he gets up there, he preaches a sermon, he gets real deep into it, and he's using huge theological terminology that he learned as he was writing his doctorate. And he, he's using the original Greek and Hebrew language, and he's just going real deep into it. It's an amazing sermon, but it's very deep. And as he's going, he, he finishes up, and everyone's leaving the church, and their heads are swimming because they're, they're trying to figure out how to, to assimilate and use this knowledge to process it as they go out to their homes and their neighborhoods and their families and, and their jobs and, and use what they had just learned. And so they don't know quite how, to, how they're going to use the Greek words, but, but they're excited about it. They, they've grown deeper in the relationship. And the wife comes up afterwards, and she's like, I, I, I see you didn't get my note. And he goes, no, no, I did. Thank you so much. Like, as I went up there and I, I saw it, and I was like, she gave me a kiss. She's like, kiss? No, K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> That's what I'm going to try to do today. As we dive into today's scripture, as we could go really deep into God's word and each of the commandments, we could spend weeks and months just dissecting and going into the commandments. But we're not going to do that today. Maybe sometime in the future we'll do that. But today, I'm, I want to keep it simple. I want us to leave here with some things that we can use in our lives today to help further the kingdom, to help grow like God has intended these laws to do. And so as we, we dive into that, is this, this is going to hopefully stay simple. Uh, and so last week, if you did not join us, is Pastor Joe was in chapter 19 of Exodus. And if you remember, the people of Israel had, had arrived at Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and they had encamped there at the base of it. And Moses went and he talked to God. And there's this back and forth conversation between him and the Lord. Is God tells Moses something. And Moses goes and tells the Israelites. And the Israelites respond. So Moses goes to God to tell him about their response about what God told Moses to tell them. And then Moses goes to the people to tell them how God responded to their response to his telling of what he told them to tell them. And so he goes back and forth and then Moses speaks, God speaks. And then when God speaks, there's thunderbolts and lightning. It was very, very frightening for Galileo. Sorry, sorry. That was not magnifico. Oh, uh, I had to do it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a youth pastor. Um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, it gets me. Uh, but it was very frightening. It, it was this terrifying experience. And can you imagine that as Moses speaks and God answers him in thunder? Think about it for a second. This, this mountain is trembling. It is shaking. There is thunder. There's this crescendoing trumpet sound. It's getting louder and louder as they are hearing. And on top of the, the trumpets, there's thunder and there's darkness. There's this fire of God's presence and clouds. And, and it is terrifying. Can you imagine Moses, being Moses? Is God speaking? Are you speaking? And then God answering you in thunder. I, I wonder what Moses 
was like in that moment when he's like, God, the mountain is freaking out, and I really don't want to come near to it again. I'm scared. I don't want to do this. But, but if you really want me to come up to the mountain, he goes, I, I need a sign. And just like that thunderstruck, and he goes up to God. And last week, Pastor Joe talked about how this section is a DTR, defining the relationship between God and his people. And up to this point is God had done the legwork in this relationship. Is he established the people of Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was there with Joseph as he went into Egypt and as he made him prosper and brought his family in, they prospered and they grew in number and so much so that the Pharaoh enslaved the Israelites. And he was there as he brought, sent Moses back and the 10 plagues happened and the sea split and there was manna and quail and water as God provided. God had done all these things. And God says, if we're gonna be exclusive, it's just gonna be you and I, then there needs to be things that you do. And so he gives them the law. And now the law does two major things. Is the first is a spiritual CAT scan. It shows us that we are sick, that there's a sickness inside of us and that we need healing. And the second thing the law does, it lets us know the path to life, the fullness of life that God has brought to us in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at the law, as we look at these, is if, if you like analogies, it might help you view the Ten Commandments better. You can think of the Ten Commandments like the U.S. Constitution. And the following laws are like the federal laws that are given. The Constitution is the bedrock of the U.S. legal system. And everything that happens, any question of the law, it rolls up to the Supreme Court, who then weighs it against our constitution. And that's what the Ten Commandments are like. All the following laws in the Old Testament, they stem out of these Ten Commandments. Everything is bounced off of them. And now when you're picturing the Ten Commandments, what, what comes to mind? What's that image you get when, when someone says the Ten Commandments? If you're like me, you, you probably see this. This is who you get. Charlton Heston as Moses from the 1956 Ten Commandments movie. Now, I, I, I didn't watch it in theater. I had to ask Pastor David what it was like watching that in theater. Uh, so this is my last sermon here. Uh, it's been fun while it's lasted. Almost made it to five years next week, uh, but so close. No, uh, I am getting fired though for that comment. Uh, but this is what I, picture. I remember watching this movie as a kid is watching the Ten Commandments, seeing the lightning strike the side of the mountain and God writing the commandments on the stone and the Moses carrying them at this point right here to the people. Do you get that image? Is that what you think of? If you're like me, then you're also wrong like me. That's not how it happened. Is they were trying to condense a long movie into something shorter? And so we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 20 today to see how the Israelites received the Ten Commandments. And so it'll be on the screen. It's going to be in the app. It's in the Bibles as well in front of you. If you have one of those Bibles, it's page 54. And so we're going to read this in its entirety, just like the Israelites received the Ten Commandments. We're going to read through them together. So let me read this. Exodus chapter 20. Verses one, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods 
before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, sh- you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant or maidservant nor your animals or the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that may, you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and the smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So up until this point, God has only spoken through Moses. This is the first time that he has spoken to an assembly. Before, he, he talked to Adam and Eve together. He talked to, a, uh, to Cain and possibly his brother Abel. He talked to Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob. But he had never spoken to the whole assembly, the, the millions of Israelites before. They had seen his presence through the fire and the cloud and the mountain. They'd seen it tremble, but now they're hearing the voice of God. And it says... Uh, in verses 1 and 2, that that God spoke these words. He reminds the people who exactly he is, that he is the one who brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And I I, I wonder why God at this moment chose to speak to them instead of through Moses. And I, I think the answer might be is he didn't want there to be any confusion. He wanted to eliminate the middleman. Think, think about when you tell someone something to tell someone else, Right? is that there might be a, a breakdown in communication. You, you tell your kid that, hey, no, you can't have a Coke. And so they go to mom like, hey, dad said I can have a Coke. And there's this communication breakdown. It's the same thing. He didn't want any confusion. And he wanted the Israelites to know that these are his words. These are not something Moses has made up to, to entice the people or, or for his own profitability, is this is what God is saying. He didn't want there to be confusion that Moses maybe misheard God, that he didn't really mean keep the Sabbath day holy, or he didn't, he didn't really mean you can't steal. You just can't steal from other Israelites. You can steal from anyone else. He wanted to make sure that there was no confusion or that anyone misunderstood God. And so with the Ten Commandments, just like with the 10 plagues were, were against the, the gods of Egypt, is the 10 commandments are against the lifestyle 
of Egypt against what they had experienced these last several hundred years. They are opposites of Pharaoh's kingdom. We see with the first two commandments, no other gods and no idols. They just come from a place that had over 1,400 deities that they, were, that they worshiped. And, and in this, God is not saying, hey, make me number one. Make me your favorite God. No, he, he's saying, I alone am God, and there can be no one else. There's not room for anyone else in this relationship. There's no one on the side. There's just space for me in your life. No other gods beside me, none at all. He says, no idols. His Pharaoh was thought to be a god, and, and they worshiped him as a god. And he says, there was no idols. They worshiped thousands of idols representing these different gods. And God said, I am not in creation. I made it all. Don't, don't worship some image thinking that you're worshiping me. Just, just worship me. The Egyptians and the Canaanites, is they worship gods according to creation. And God comes straight out of the gate saying, that's not how my people will be. They saw in Egypt that he was over all creation. He made it dark and light at the same time. He commanded uh, insects and frogs to invade and water to turn to blood. He provided harvest and then took it away with the locusts. He alone was to be worshiped. And in verse 5, after he says that you shall not bow down to them or worship them, talking about idols, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. He says he's a jealous God. Now, jealousy is wanting something that's rightfully yours, but envy is wanting something that is not yours. The Israelite people are his. They are in a relationship. It's like a husband being jealous for his wife. It's God saying, I am jealous for my people. I'm not going to allow them to go off and have anyone else before me, to worship anyone else, to be anyone else in this relationship. And he, said, he talks about this punishment to the third and fourth generations. And human experience, it confirms that immoral behavior on part of parents it often results in suffering for the children and grandchildren. And this is one of the grievous aspects of sin is that it harms others besides the sinner themselves. Does this resonate with you? Have your parents or grandparents made choices that you are paying for today that you and your children are having to deal with? Have you done things that are affecting your children? Have you made choices that other people are paying for because of your mistakes. This cycle of sin and suffering, it can be broken through repentance. And, and while suffering comes to the third and fourth generations, God shows steadfast love to thousands of generations who love him and keep his commandments. Well, when I read these verses, I, I think of my great-grandparents, Vernon and Mona Newland. And my great-grandfather, he 
wanted to be a missionary, and he wanted to go to one country, and my great-grandmother, she wanted to be a missionary to China, and so they got married, and my great-grandfather wanted to stay with her, and so they went to China. He became a missionary to China, and so they went to China and Tibet, and they were attacked by bandits, and they were almost killed several times, and they spread the gospel there, and then World War II happened, and so they were on the run through the mountains of Tibet, from the Japanese and eventually they were captured and thrown in a POW camp and my great aunt was actually born in this camp and the allies come and rescued them and they were saved right before they were going to be killed again and they could have said man we did our time we witnessed to the people in these other countries and we're going to go just get jobs we're going to go just be okay with the time we put in but they come back to the United States and he goes and starts preaching and he, he wants more churches. So he starts planning churches where there aren't churches. And after doing that, he's like, we need more pastors. And so he went and planted colleges like Dallas Christian College, my alma mater. And he, he planted a, a college that merged with Ozark Christian College just up the road. And I think about my, my great aunts and uncles who, who are pastors and leading godly lives. I think about my aunt and uncle who are ministers and their cousins who are pastors. I think about my brother and myself who are pastors and our, our children and my nieces and nephews and my kids who, who now are raised in godly homes because my great-grandparents chose to love God. And I think about all the people around the world who are affected by Ozark Christian College and Dallas Christian College and other churches and other schools who now their generations have been blessed because someone chose to love God, because they chose that. And so people are reaping those benefits. And maybe you are here today, and this is your first step in turning from paying for the sins of someone else and turning to generations for years to come, reaping the benefits of love from God. He goes on to the third commandment. And he says, you shall not misuse the name of God. And if you grew up in church, then you probably historically think of this as, hey, don't use God's name in vain. Don't, don't stub your toe and say God's name. Don't, don't associate with, with bad language. But, but there's more to this verse than just saying God's name in a way that's improper with bad language. The word name, it's more than just what someone is called. In the Bible, it can refer to one's nature and their character and their being. And so in this context, it's associating the character of God with anything that is untrue or unholy. It is unacceptable to do that. And so it's using God's name to overpower someone else for, for your own gains. It's using the nature of God for your own advancement or using it to squash down someone else. He says, don't misuse my name. My name is holy. Use it as such. Use it for building people up. Use it as is intended. He goes on in the fourth, the fourth commandment. It says, keep, keep the Lord's day holy. Keep the Sabbath special. And the, the Lord has already started setting this rhythm with the people in the form of working for six days and resting on the seventh. He shows them this as he tells them to collect manna on the sixth day, collect a double portion for the seventh day. Every aspect of the life of an Israelite is to reflect that the people are 
God's people and they are sustained by him alone. And he says, you're not the only one to rest, but, but your children are to rest, your workers are to rest, everyone, even your animals are to rest. Think about how much more you can get done if you work seven days a week, how much more money you can make, how much better you can provide for your family, how, how much more you could produce if you worked every day of the week. Think about the Israelites and how better prepared for an attack they could be if they were training militarily every day, if they were making swords and spears and shields every day. They could be ready because the Egyptians, the Kants, all the people they were going to face, they were doing that. But God sets an example. He shows the value of resting in him and leaning on him, putting your trust in him, not in what you do, but what God will do for you. God set this example in creation. He created everything. He wasn't tired from six days of work. No, but he set an example for us to follow. We see the same thing as Jesus is baptized in the New Testament. It's not because he was a sinner. It's because he was setting an example for us. As the Spirit was coming down, he wanted to show us the way. And so we see these first four commandments and we see that it's creating this vertical relationship between God and his people. How they are to interact with him, how are they to relate to him, to grow closer to his deeper relationship with him. And then we see the, the, six, uh, the, the, the last six commandments. It starts to talk about other people, how we're supposed to relate. And so number five and seven, it's talking about at home. It says to, to honor your parents. It's the only commandment that comes with a promise so you may live long in the land that I'm giving you. So what does it look like for you to honor your parents? I'm not just talking to the students in this question. What does it look like for you to honor your parents? As your parents are getting older and you are now taking that parental role and you are having to take care of them and they are, they are being grouchy about it. They, they are not making it easy for you. How are you honoring them in your life? What are you doing? Are you honoring them? Students, you still need to be honoring your parents right now because eventually you're gonna be in their place as well. But how are you honoring your parents? He says, don't commit adultery. We're, we're to be faithful to their spouses. The Israelites are called to have their spouse and theirs alone. The sixth commandment in verse 13, he says, you shall not murder. Remember, the 10 commandments are opposites of what they learned in Egypt. In Egypt, it is the babies were murdered, were thrown into the river and drowned. People were killed. Life had no value. He says, that's not gonna be the way for God's people is we are gonna value all lives, no matter if it's an inconvenience or it threatens you, is you will still value life. And then he gives the last three commandments, eight, nine, 10. Don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. Again, this is opposite of what they saw because Pharaoh could take whatever he wanted. He could do whatever he wanted. And he says, we're not gonna be like that. We are gonna honor our neighbors. We are gonna treat their stuff. We're not going to steal it. We're not going to take from them. We're not going to want what they have. We see this play out, unfortunately, though, with the kings of Israel later on. All these things 
as they had experienced in their time in Egypt. And God says, if you are going to be my people, we are not going to be like them, the people I have pulled you out of. And so these Ten Commandments, they go to be the foundation of the Israelite way of life and how they are set apart from the other nations and how they conduct themselves. These commands and 603 other commands, they become a very integral part of the Jewish way of life. And these commands were meant to draw people into this closer vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship with others to help grow them deeper to God as they start to become the focus of the people. And they start thinking and working on these laws instead of focusing, man, how's my relationship with God? And the bad thing is they think they're doing so well in this that they're keeping their end of this covenant with God. They were keeping the Sabbath holy. They, they made sure they weren't working. And to make sure that they were keeping the Sabbath holy, the Jewish scholars, they created these 39 separate categories to help them do that, that, that defined what counted as work. And in these 39 categories, there were several subcategories. Now those subcategories, there were other categories. And so by the time you get to it, there's thousands of subcategories that help define what is work and what is not. Like how many steps you could take in a day before you had worked or how many letters you could write before you had started working that day and you did not keep the Sabbath holy. Jesus even calls out the Pharisees on this in Matthew 23, talking about the heavy loads that they have placed on the people with all these extra rules that are above and beyond the commandments. And the Israelites, they think these commandments are the ceiling, the maximum requirement that they are supposed to be doing. Didn't murder anyone day, check mark for number six. Didn't cheat on my spouse, numero siete is safe. Didn't lie, didn't steal, didn't talk to my parents. I can't not honor my parents if I don't talk to them today. So check, check, big check. But then Jesus comes down in Matthew 5 as he's standing on a mountain and he's speaking to a crowd. He tells them that they're not being faithful in their relationship. Jesus uses the law like a flashlight to shine into the darkness of their souls. He says, you, you think you're keeping the commandments because you haven't murdered anyone? But I tell you that anyone who is angry with their brother is due the same judgment as the murderer. You, you haven't cheated on your spouse? You must be so holy. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. People know that you're telling the truth because you swore to God? No, no. Don't swear by anything. Don't swear by the earth or by heaven. Don't swear on your life or on your mama's grave. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. And then in Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I just imagine a sigh of relief as all the people hear this and they're trying to anticipate what Jesus is going to say next. I just imagine them talking to one another. He goes, what do you think Jesus is going to say next about our enemies? Well, he's probably going to say we shouldn't hate our enemies, but like more just ignore them. Like, like turn the other cheek like he just mentioned. Well, if he's talking about the Romans, 
May I, I know I, what I hope he says that we should do to them. And then Jesus speaks. And he said, what? We're supposed to love our enemies? He, he wants us to pray for them? Oh, I'll pray for them. I'll pray that, that a donkey kicks them. And right when these people think that they can be no worse, Jesus says in verse 48 of chapter 5, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If this is what it's going to take to live up to be in right standing before God, is who can do such a thing? Who, who can live to such a high standard? And that's the point. You can't. You're never going to be able to keep God's law perfectly. You're going to crash and burn if it depends on you. If it depends on your strength, on your might, on your goodness. You won't be able to do it. You can't. But Jesus can. And Jesus did. And if you're trying to live outside of God's commands... You're going to continue to feel empty and hopeless and lost. If you feel trapped by the weight of your sin, if you're carrying this burden and you feel like there's no way of getting set free, is there's freedom in Christ. And if you're trying to get through life by checking boxes, well, I didn't cheat on my spouse I didn't murder anyone. I came to church today. If that is weighing you down from, from trying to earn your way into God's good graces, Jesus says, rest. Rest. I, I've done it for you. I'm good enough because I know that you never would be. Where the Pharisees had piled on and burdened the Israelites, where they feel like they have no chance of escaping, they have no hope of making it. They can't even come close and they feel like they're crushed under the weight of these laws of trying to do it. Jesus comes and he keeps it simple for them. Matthew 22, Jesus says this as he's talking to some Pharisees after silencing the Sadducees. Uh, a teacher of the law comes up and in verse 38, I'm sorry, verse uh, 36 this teacher of the law says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus summed up the entirety of the Ten Commandments, the entirety of of all 613 commands in these two simple things. Love God, love others. Love God and love others. If you can't keep these two simple commands, then you won't be able to keep any of the other commandments. But if you love God, then you're not going to put anything else before him. Not, not your job, not your family, not your school, not your sports, not your golf game. You're not going to have any idols. You're not going to worship Sunday football. You're not going to worship your children. You're going to worship God alone. 
You, you won't misuse the name of God and you'll keep the Sabbath day holy because you see that it provides rest and it helps you in your relationship as you are vertically relating to God. And if you love others, you're going to honor your parents, not just in word, but in deed. You'll value life. You'll view marriage as sacred. You won't lie. You won't take what's not yours. You'll be content with what God has given you. You'll be working on this horizontal relationship with others. Keep it simple. Love God love others. If you do these two things, if you work hard on these two things, the others will come. You don't have to focus on keeping all 613 commands. Focus on these and the others will come out of obeying to love God and to love others. So did you come here today carrying a burden? Are you feeling weighed down by your sin? trying to live outside of God's commands. And you're like, this is my last ditch effort. I'm gonna go to church today. Someone invited me. I have no other options. If that's you, man, give it to Jesus. And if you've been trying to, to get into God's good graces by your actions, by the things you do, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on what Jesus did on the cross. And that was die for your sins. He was good enough he wants you to follow him. He wants you to do good, but it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on Jesus because he is good enough and you never will be. Give it to him. Let him take those burdens from you. Rest in him. I want to end today with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants to give you rest. Will you come to him? Let me pray for us. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for the commandments, for your laws, Lord, that, that show that we have a sickness in our life. Lord, that, that we need healing, that we need a doctor, Lord, that we cannot fix this ourselves, Lord. But we thank you also that the law shows us the path to life, how to find Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask that you, you would help us just to take on his burden, to stop carrying around this weight that is crushing us, Lord, help us as we want to grow in deeper relationship with you. As you, as you called the, the Israelites to it, Lord, you have called us, those who, who have a relationship with you. Lord, you've given their lives to you, Lord. And so if there's anyone here who, who needs to put off this burden of sin, Lord, I ask that you would just work powerfully in their lives. Lord, and there's any of us who have accepted your grace, but Lord, we are not living in your freedom and grace. Lord, we are trying to do it ourselves. Lord, I ask that you would just unburden us. Lord, help us to live like you have called us to live. Help us to, to love you and to love others, Lord. Everything else will fall into place if we can keep these two commands, if we can just keep it simple, Lord. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.